Hey, Rebel Riser. I'm Alan Voivod, and this is Star Wars 7x7. We're at episode number 1735 today. Thank you so much for joining me for it. Thank you so much for subscribing, for rating, for reviewing. Thank you especially to the patrons making this possible every day with their support at patreon.com slash SW7x7. So today we're going to be talking about the Lando's Luck novel again. And in particular, we're going to talk about the prologue and the epilogue because... It's essentially sort of a mini journey to episode nine without being labeled a journey to episode nine. And here is what I mean by that. If you think back to the journey to The Force Awakens, there were three novels that were released for young readers or younger readers. There were The Weapon of a Jedi, Smuggler's Run, and Moving Target. They each focused on different classic original trilogy characters. But each of those three books had a prologue and an epilogue that bore on The Force Awakens and had something to do with things happening in a space of time before The Force Awakens. In a very real sense, two of those three were kind of fluff. And I mean that in a nice way. I'm not saying that they weren't interesting at all or anything like that. No, they absolutely were. But what I mean to say by that is that they didn't necessarily advance the story of The Force Awakens. They just happened to take place before The Force Awakens and, you know, maybe provide a little bit of insight. For example, with Moving Target, Princess Leia, now General Leia, was being asked to work on her memoirs. And as a result, one of the stories that she decided to tell that she thought would be very instructive to members of the Resistance is the story in Moving Target. And as far as the Weapon of a Jedi novel goes, it's Jess Pava, the X-Wing pilot from Black Squadron, who has a conversation with C-3PO about Luke Skywalker and about the first time that they ever saw him wield a lightsaber in battle after the Battle of Yavin. So that's the story for Weapon of a Jedi. And Smuggler's Run actually features Han and Chewie in a bar in the middle of God knows where and having to warn some people that are associated with Duquesne and the Irving boys that they are not afraid of those gangsters. And we know that from the name check in The Force Awakens where the Falcon passed through the hands of Duquesne and the Irving boys before getting to Unkar Plutt, before coming back to Han and Chewie. So... Those three novels, with their, prologues, with their prologues and epilogues taking place immediately before The Force Awakens, it looks like we're running into the same idea with Flight of the Falcon, but it seems to be a little bit more directed this time, because instead of the three novels having three entirely different prologues and epilogues, or unrelated ones, the Flight of the Falcon series so far is actually connecting their prologues and epilogues across books. And we are going to get into spoiler territory for Lando's Luck here. It's been out for a while, so I, you know, I think that's about as much warning as you possibly need. So here we go. We're going to dive right into the prologue and the epilogue. The gist of it is, is that Bazin Natal is on the hunt for information about the Millennium Falcon. And Bazin Natal is the Harlequin-dressed-looking gal that was hanging out with that giant creature Grumgar in The Force Awakens when they were at uh, Maz's castle on Takadana. And she's the one who informed the First Order that BB-8 was on Takadana. And that's going to be important for our discussion a little bit later here in the show. 
But Bazine gets a tip that somebody has a story about the Falcon and it turns out to be an older and wiser Princess Renetta who has been able to go on all kinds of adventures that she dreamed of being able to do as a child and thought that she would never get to do. And turns out that she was able to after all. And what Bazine wants to know about the ship is things like weapons and capabilities and that sort of thing. And I don't think she really gets much of that from the story that Renata tells, at least the story that we hear in Lando's Luck. And it is stated as evident that the Falcon has definitely been modified beyond its original specifications, but the story that Bazine is hearing takes place roughly 40 years earlier because it's taking place before the events of Solo A Star Wars Story, which itself takes place roughly 10 years before the events of the original trilogy, which takes place roughly 34 years, if you're counting from the Battle of Yavin, uh, from the events of The Force Awakens. So yeah, we're talking nearly half a century's difference. So, you know, how much help this could be to Bazine, who knows, except that any bit of information could be useful to her. And something else that's interesting, at least from a galactic map kind of standpoint, this prologue and epilogue takes place on a planet called Vixnix, which is a new introduction for us. And supposedly it's on the edge of wild space. But at the end of the story, Bazine gets another tip to check out Black Spire Outpost on Batuu. Yeah, all roads lead to Black Spire Outpost, it appears. And that a random Weequay pirate, who we now know as Hondo Anaka, has something to do with the Falcon and might be there right now. And so suddenly we're jumping from stories 40 years ago to stories that may be happening right now. But the Galactic Atlas thing it's stated that Batu is a long way away from Vixnix, and Batu itself is supposed to be on the border between normal space and wild space, and also additionally a jumping off point to the unknown regions. So it does suggest that the border between the known galaxy and wild space is rather large if it's supposed to be a long distance from Vixnix to Batu, and yet, you know, they're both on the edge of wild space, but still in the normal galaxy. And there's one other very important question that's central to this notion of these prologues and epilogues with Flight of the Falcon. And I'm going to pose that question after the break and attempt to answer it as well. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Audible. You can get your free trial at sw7x7.com slash audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E. I've been checking out the audiobooks for Star Wars on Audible since the reboot of the canon with A New Dawn by John Jackson Miller. And everyone I've listened to, I've enjoyed the heck out of. And now they're coming out with an audiobook exclusive, Jedi Lost, that's going to debut on April 30th. So the only way you're going to get that is by getting the audio version. So you might as well get a free trial for Audible and get your hands on it. You can go to SW7X7.com slash Audible, sign up, and when it comes out, you'll be all set. Welcome back. So the big unanswered question right now is what does Bazine Natal want with the Millennium Falcon? I mean, after the events of Lando's luck at the end of the epilogue when the princess has disappeared and she gets the tip about the Falcon possibly being on Batu. She reflects to herself that after hearing the princess's story, she was even more determined to find the Falcon and that it couldn't hide from her forever. But why? Why is this such a big deal to her? So 
to answer that question, you have to consider two things. Number one, Bazine Natal is a mercenary. And so if she's doing this, she's doing this for money. And somebody is paying her to be able to find the Falcon. So, you know, there you go. That's number one. Number two is that she's been previously hired by, or at least been willing to work for, the First Order in turning over information about the Resistance to the First Order, as evidenced by what happened in The Force Awakens. And so, right now, what we know about Bazine Natal suggests that she, if she's going to be working for anyone and trying to track down the Falcon, it would be the First Order. And you could also go to the next length and say that it might have even been an assignment from Kylo Ren himself because you saw how he reacted when the Millennium Falcon showed up on Crate. He sent every single starfighter they had after the sucker. So, you know. Yeah, he has a real sore spot about that ship, basically. And so it's entirely possible that the First Order has hired Bazine to go track down the Millennium Falcon, especially when you consider the fact that, as far as we knew at the end of The Last Jedi, the entire brain trust, or what was left of it, of the Resistance, was on that ship. And so if they can find and eliminate that ship and everybody on it, then the resistance is pretty much done. So we'll have to see where this whole Bazine Natal business goes with Pirate's Price. But for now, though, at least this gives us an indication of where it might be going and what Bazine is really after and who she's, who she's after it on behalf of. Yeah, that was a little complicated for a prepositional phrase. Anyway, that is going to do it for today's episode of the show. Thank you so much for joining me for it. I hope you will consider supporting me and delivering this to you every day at patreon.com slash SW7X7 and get some fun rewards in the process for your trouble. The only other thing I have to say is may the force be with you wherever in the world you may be. This podcast is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other related Star Wars items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2019 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it. <laughs>